you have to have a belief that you can put teachers together and give them time to work in teams. And it has to be a, a big part of the, the leader of the district or the school's philosophy. And it could be just the school, because I've been in districts where they it, it wasn't there, so we, we created it. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I'm your host and chief goddess of the PASS Foundation, Annalise Corbin. We know the current model for education is obsolete. It was designed to create fleets of assembly line workers, not the thinkers and problem solvers needed today. We've seen the innovations that are possible within education, and it's our goal to leave the box behind and reimagine what education can look like in your own backyard. Welcome to today's episode of Learning Unboxed. As always, super excited because we get to have conversations with incredibly innovative and creative folks working in the world of transformative education. And today is uh, no different. Um, joining us today for our conversation is Bo Ryan, who is the principal of Anna Grace Academy of the Arts Elementary Magnet School in Bloomfield, Connecticut. And actually, Bo is on a snow day today, so we're super excited, actually, um, in the middle of this great epic storm that we're all experiencing here um, in, in North America, uh, that Bo is able to join us. Um, Bo is passionate about building and sustaining professional learning communities, or PLCs, uh, which is what we're going to talk about today, and creating high-performing teams. And so, Bo, welcome to the program. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here, and, and this is awesome talk about education. This is yeah, great. no, it's it's a lot of fun. And we have um, our listeners come to us, um, Bo, from all over the world. And so we get some of the most creative and innovative conversations, and that's an awful lot of fun. So I just want to set the stage a little bit um, for our listeners, because they do come from all over. And just in case we have folks that are not intimately familiar with the idea of personal learning communities, our, our PLCs, let's let's start at the highest level. Let's, let's really sort of dig in and kind of define what this concept or idea is, and then we could talk about the reasons why um, you find it to be so beneficial. So for professional learning communities consist of teams that work together in order to have higher levels of student learning. So, but they have to focus on the right work. So that's what that is. Basically, three big ideas, uh, focus on learning, culture, collaboration, and results. So looking at those three things, for me, it was amazing years ago when I was in uh, Barnes and Nobles and I'm an ex-college athlete in a college. Uh, I was somewhat of an athlete, but anyway, oh, oh, I coached oh, college but, sports. Yeah, you were, you were a football coach at college, right? Syracuse, I think it was. Yes. So yes. You, you've got some serious sports chops. Don't deny that. That's okay. You can be an athlete and a great scholar and educator too. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so I was in and I saw this book on professional learning communities about probably 23 years ago, and it aligned exactly with the team process and then taking that in schools. And as I worked in schools, I saw, wow, we, we all need help. We all need support. How can we kind of make this happen for all kids? But really, again, the professional learning concept is focusing on three big ideas, learning, 
for both staff and students, collaboration and then looking at data and, and really driven by the results in order to keep that loop going and constantly get better at what we're doing. And and it's it's a process that many schools have taken up, but there's still probably even more that have not. So let's start with that little nugget because you've been doing this work and you're training and you're coaching. You're really, really immersed and immersed um, in this work around PLC. So, so let's, let's start with the flip side uh, of this conversation. So why do you think that not all schools are using this? I think it's a, it's a process that all schools are kind of, schools are individual processes. This teacher works down the hall at this classroom. This teacher works down the hall at this classroom and they don't get a chance to really talk. And then you don't have a lot of building leaders that really want to bring these folks together. And that's part of the job. I learned early on when I was teaching in Harper's North End, which is one of the biggest cities in Connecticut in the North End, which was a fun place. Some of the best teachers I've ever seen were in that building. And I would go in and watch them. And then I'm like, wow, this is pretty amazing. Um, If I ever leave the school, like I will use the people in the building. And my book is named The Brilliance in the Building because she was right there. Miss Benone was right there. Miss Her was right down the hallway. Miss Vargas was right over there. And you see amazing classroom teaching. But imagine if those teachers worked together in teams and it would have made everyone else better. Um, but they didn't. We didn't have that type of, of policy or that type of practice. And I don't know why schools don't use more of it. I do know it has you have to constantly work at it because we could be an ELA team, you and I, and then we could have a new person come in. Now that could now you have to coach that team up a little different because you don't know her knowledge or the knowledge of the person coming in. And it's a constant process of coaching teams. And I don't think uh, some people want to do all that. It, it's a lot of work. I mean, I think absolutely that that that's fair. But anytime we talk about collaborative efforts, right? We have to we have to dump a lot of time and energy and effort into those endeavors. That's always the case. Yes. Um, so yes, it is a lot of work, but it, the payoff is mighty. Yes, no question. And we, you know, you're able to number one create a system like we've gone through the pandemic. And we had half, we had first, all the kids were home. Then we had half here, half in school, but we continued to work in our collaborative teams. And that was huge because, man, it was hard to kind of connect with folks. And then it was hard to, some of our kids in the cities, they could get lost. So we had people go out and we found them. Like I, we do a lot of home visits and figured out from the, but if we didn't work together as a team, we would have lost lots of kids. And now we're starting to come back up of where we need academically, but where it's, if you don't have a collaborative team, I don't know where we would be right now as a school because our school is located um, right now. It moved from we were in the middle of the city, um, but it's a challenge. And if you don't have other adults helping and supporting you uh, during the pandemic, we would have lost a lot of kids. I'm talking like not even coming back to school. Some people we went into their went to their homes and kept going and going. Finally, mom's like, you know, it's sending back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're going to, you're going to keep bugging me. So I'm going to send my yeah. kiddos back. But I think that, you know, so, we yeah. know that that was one of the pandemic, you know, impacts. Um, schools all over talked about this, you know, these students that suddenly disappeared and, you know, not all of them came back and what happened and it is an ongoing issue. And I, I actually really love the fact that, you know, your collaborative teams, your PLCs um, made a difference in terms of the way you, you functioned as a unit, not just during the pandemic itself, but the way you really thought about what are we going to do in this post-pandemic world and how are we going to behave and what are we going to do? And, um, you know, that our, your students are so important that you want to find everyone 
one of those kids, right? But you had a team approach to make that possible, and that that makes a huge difference. You you mentioned um, already, and I was we were going to bring this up. So I'm super super interested, actually, um, in in your in your book, the brilliance um, in the building. And so let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, um, I have a copy sitting 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 on my on my desk. <laughs> so thank you for that. Awesome. Yeah, you made my day. <laughs> uh, absolutely. So I, I want to talk about that a little bit because um, I, I want to talk about primarily about the drivers that you felt like were most important when you sat down and you were thinking about the story you wanted to tell and you were crafting the book, because when you go through the book, you know, it's, it's got lots of components to it. You know, it, it, it tells the story of the PLC and it definitely makes the case, but it also provides a lot of tools and opportunity. But I really am curious about, you know, as you were sitting around thinking about the book, as it's sort of emerging from you, there, there were key elements there that were really, really important to you. I want to talk about those. So the most important element that's important to me through the book is the fact that I'm here and I'm in school and I have the opportunity to work with kids. And in my intro, uh, they had to tone it down a little bit. I wrote an article for PLC Magazine that allowed me to talk more, but I grew up in an urban neighborhood and we, I, had the fortune, I was fortunate to have two parents, both working parents. But we saw some things and I was involved in a lot of things, especially through middle school, that really uh, some kids shouldn't shouldn't do in middle school years. And it, we would walk to school and it would be tons of us. There would be 12, 13 of us walking together. Sometimes we went to school, sometimes we didn't. And then we would go into building. And then a lot of my friends who were in the same neighborhood, literally right across the street from my house, would go into a portable. Now, all those that portable was outside the school building. All those kids. Uh, that went in there. None of them graduated high school. Like you don't go from the portable to high school. So it was a, and I had a mother who was, uh, she just passed. God bless. I love her. She, um, she was relentless with uh, me in middle school. She was an emergency room nurse in a city. So imagine how tough she would be. And she was during the day, switched her hours to the evening, which is in a, it's really, (laughs) it's like 50 times harder than her job already is in order to check on me in school. And she came two, three times a week um, and would check and make sure I was doing what I was supposed to do. Uh, I was failing in seventh grade really bad. I was getting in trouble in the neighborhood. So she took care of the school by visiting and then took care of the neighborhood by uh, she created her own scared straight program, which was an MTV special. She got her own cops and her own police. And I sat down and I was doing a lot of things that probably wouldn't get me to high school and it didn't change me like that, but it changed through the years. And then I was able to play football, which was a great piece in high school. Uh, keep me going. My dad was the coach and he worked there. Uh, it didn't matter. He, he, you know, he worked, uh, to also help me. And then at the end of high school, I was able to go to prep school. I couldn't get into anywhere. I had no ability to go into any school. He was a coach and he was able to connect me with a prep school to stay back. And then I didn't graduate high school. I didn't go to my graduation. He's like, you're leaving now and you can't come back until next year. And he, and I didn't. And I, I, I became the number one student in prep school um, academically. And I remember, true story though, we're at the prep school and prep school is different than the neighborhood I grew up in. Like I remember, uh, let me backtrack. So I'm walking, I worked there the whole summer and was able to do maintenance. And then the first day hit me. And I'm not, uh, I was walking down 
And I, I started, I like teared up and I was like, what about this kid? What about this kid I grew up with? What about this? Why, why have I, I'm looking around. It's like the most beautiful place. And why did I have this opportunity? And I better, I better make the most of it. And I figured out that the prep school at this school, at least they had people that risked me to get in, uh, really was at risk coach Sanborn who coached with my dad back in 1970. They kept that connection. He told my father, and I didn't notice like 10 years ago, he said, your son cannot get in. Like we cannot let him in, but we're going to let him in. But if, if he, and I didn't know this and he, uh, mentored me and then, uh, I was able to get in. And so I owe a lot of people and I'm not doing this. And people say, what's your why? My why is for all these kids in my neighborhood that didn't have this opportunity. And then the book I wrote kind of was, that was the intro of, of what I created and all the people that, that really helped me. My mother was relentless. She refused to see me fail. And I, uh, want to make sure I kind of give that same back, that same feeling back. And now I'm working at actually a middle school. We're now pre-K through eight. We combined two schools that were, uh, and then now I'm there and, and, and I want to give back, especially to middle school kids because it's such a challenging time and they need positive forces and a lot of people helping out. It is a very challenging time, you know, and I love, I, I actually love that comment about your mother that she was relentless in not allowing you to fail, right? Um, what an yep. incredibly powerful force. And we know, right, that the people who advocate for children matter so much. And then that personal connection, whether it's a parent, it's a teacher, it's a custodian at the school, it's, it doesn't matter who it is. Every kid needs someone to care. Yes. And, you know, it's interesting. So I go to prep school and I'm still like, I'm an urban inner city kid and, and with two parents, which was different. I was the only one with, so I go to Mr. Burke, I'm in his pre-cal class and I go, Mr. Burke, I'm like, listen, I'm going to be honest. I was not great in, in school. Uh, I'm lucky to be here. There's no way. I don't even know what pre-cal is. He said, well, you're going to get an A. I'm like, awesome. He goes, no, but you're going to see me during class. And then they had a study hall. Uh, at this prep school where for two hours you figured out and they taught you how to take stuff from the classroom and really study. Um, it was amazing. And he said, and I got an A in his class and learned, uh, but his, his desire and his, his attitude and how he, and he wasn't better than any of us. He didn't act that way. And he just gave and gave and changed a lot of our lives. But it's funny because one of my, I met up with another kid from my state of Connecticut who is now the, the coach, one of the assistants to the head coach at Cornell. He was another guy with us, and we kind of went through the same stuff of just two guys who were lucky to, to get out of Connecticut and live in Ashburnham, Mass. for a year that changed our mm -hmm. lives. Yeah. And so, okay, so then let's fast forward. Um, let's let's fast forward to the space where you are really um, rolling up your sleeves and you're doing the work with your own teams. You're, you are now, um, you know, a, a principal. You've been a teacher. You, you, you've been teacher of the year, I think it was, in Connecticut. There's a whole host of things, right? So you've made numerous and, and plentiful contributions as it relates to changing the educational trajectory and experience for students in your community. But let's talk a little bit about the work, the work that you, um, Bo Ryan, had to do as it relates to coming into these schools as a building leader and building out these collaborative teams. So I, I, you know, because one of the questions that our listeners, you know, as they're sitting back and they're enjoying the conversations that we're having are imagining, okay, I want this to happen in, in, in my building, yet we don't do that, right? And oftentimes what we hear is, 
and you alluded to it, you know, leadership makes a huge difference. You've got to have leaders who come in and say, we're going to do this thing. We're going to be all in and we're going to, we're going to figure this out together. But it still doesn't make it easy. And, you know, as folks are sitting back listening and they're trying to figure out, okay, how do I, how do we even broach the conversation? And so, because you've been at this long enough and you've done this in enough settings, I'm super curious, Bo, how do you start the conversation with a group of folks that are reluctant, not unwilling, but reluctant? You know, it's interesting you say that. So I've been at two schools and both schools were national models for the solution tree. The first school was a little different. We we had, it was a three through five school. So we had eight teachers in each grade and we were able to, uh, they, they didn't want the lesson playing. Like they wanted to teach a collaboration and they wanted that time, but we had to really find time. So I had to, because sometimes the district will allow, will give you half days or they may have long blocks and then they have, but with eight teachers in a grade, eight teachers can't go to like these arts or the humanities. So how can you figure it out? So one of the things we did two things I wrote about in the book. One is we brought in athletes from Wesleyan university. We used to always have recess before lunch. It was a great school and they would go out. So we brought them in to watch the kids at recess and be around them. Uh, I think it was two days a week. And then our teachers would have that time that 25 minutes of collaborative time in addition to their core prep time. So we found that time. And then we were also able to find time where the K through two school in our school kind of rotated buses. So teachers would kind of, so you'd have drop off here, drop off here, then they would rotate. But what if we just had all the kids go to the gym and give that teacher time? So that was 25 minutes. We were able to do that once a week and I'd have all the kids, we'd have 21 lines or 24 lines. Kids would come in, they sit behind their line and we have some type of morning meeting. You can get a lot done in 20 minutes if the uh, in the book, I talk about ensuring success of the teams. If the protocol and the criteria is taught to the teams and they clearly understand the importance of what they're going to do, but they're able to do and lead meetings by themselves. So we were able to do that. Um, then when I went to uh, school, I mean, now as a middle school, we were able to have long blocks of time and we we're able to hire. So we were six classes. We were able to hire six art teachers in order to make sure our teachers uh, have collaborative. So everyone has the prep, and then we have a block every day called Team 30, where teachers get 30 minutes to do this important work. And some of that is directed by me because we want to make sure that we're not going to mess with your prep, but this extra time that a lot of schools are using for teachers and duties and stuff. And I, I really don't think that if, if I'm working with someone else and I have all this knowledge to give, you sitting in a hallway doing hallway duty is going to impact kids. So we, we've, we, fi we found ways to bring people in that can help and support with all that but we found time. So I think it's, it's going in with a goal. And also, I think really, uh, be honest with you, being the next college coach, and my dad was a 45-year coach, and coaching at Syracuse was a different, that guy was the head coach, Paul Pasqualoni, was an elementary teacher, and he moved his way up. They did not play around with time. Like, there was no, like, we're going to wait until five minutes. No, the meeting starts here. You're there. And then the meetings went, and that's uh, really something I talk about. Doug Reeves, who's a uh, Douglas Reed's great researcher um, talks about time. And I put this quote in my book about really looking at if, if we don't need to meet, don't meet. And then let's look at time. And, and I think it's really important to look, you could shave two, three minutes off every class and give teachers some of this time, but you have, they have to know the importance of it, um, of that time. So that, that's kind of where we were in the first school, where we are in the second school. And now the challenge we have is um, the staffing crisis that's hitting everyone 
and then how we can try to keep that time. So we're not, and we're, we're, we've been able to do that, but the challenges never end, but you have to have a belief that you could put teachers together and give them time to work in teams. And it has to be a, a big part of the, the leader of the district or the school's philosophy. And it could be just the school. Cause I've been in districts where they, it, it wasn't there. So we, we created it. Right. Right. That's really interesting. And I and I do appreciate the pieces of conversation specifically tied to time. I hear this one all the time, all the time, ironically, right? Um, and it, it falls into the same category, I think, as finding the extra dollars necessarily necessary to do creative things, right? So time and money, right, are two things that I often bump up against when I'm working or my teams are out working um, with schools and school districts when there's a reluctance to change from what we've always done, right? And when we all know, and it's not just education, this is across all systems, right? Well, A, it worked for me. You know, that's that classic thing that you hear from parents. Well, you know, it was okay for me to have homework, you know, back when, when I was in school. So why isn't it okay for, for my child or, or whatever the topic might be? Um, so we often struggle um, with that. And we also um, struggle with, you know, so not only this is how we've always done it, um, but this is how we've always budgeted for it, or this is how the schedule's always been, right? And it, there is always, always, always this odd, I would say, dig your heels in reluctance to shifting or, to your point, thinking about those elements slightly different, right? And and I'm going to give a quick example because I think it plays beautifully with what you were just talking about with time. Um, you know, I worked with a school district one time was desperately looking to find just some extra money for some, I think it was after school programming, if I remember, that was going to be incredibly impactful and meaningful for the entire community. And their budget hadn't changed in decades. It was literally the same that it have, had, had always been. And one of the things that I kept asking them is, well, is there any place in this budget where we could, we could say, well, let's stop spending money on this so that we can put it over here? And the answer was always no. It didn't matter what idea we came up with, how creative everybody in the community kind of got. No, 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 no. That's how we've always done it. And at one point I asked the question, I said, okay, I see that you are running your, this is a small community, a small little rural community, actually, but you're running your buses twice every single day, not just morning and afternoon, but you're running them essentially twice in the morning and twice in the afternoon, even though all of your schools start at roughly the same time. Why are you doing that? And, and do you need, are the buses full? Is that the problem? You only have so many buses and you've got to run the routes twice to be able to get everybody to school? No, plenty of room on the buses. Well, why are we doing that? Well, because we've always run the buses like that, right? So by eliminating, you know, a bus route or just reimagining the logistics tied to it, suddenly they had more than enough money to run the after-school program. But nobody had even asked the question or thought about it. And it's the same thing when you're talking about time. I hear that all the time, right? Uh, literally all the time. Uh, that, but we can't modify or, you know, we've always had this bell schedule. People are super obsessed with some of those things that are institutions. And I'm partially kind of what you're talking about, both in your book and the experience, is you're really talking about shifting the institutions. <laughs> Yeah, it really, used, it's funny because I created, I wrote a book before this one and it was uh, the PLC priorities. I loved it. I was going to, and I sent it out and Miss Wheatley, who's like the solution tree guru, and I had met with her. And what I love about Miss Wheatley, she's like my mom, is she will tell you 
like she's not gonna she's not gonna play around. You know those type of people. She she like uh, Bo, uh, I know you. This is not working. And I wrote a whole. It was like two hundred. And she said, "We need something about uh, urban schools and a system to create that." And then she said, "And do it the way you want to do it. Don't let them edit it." And then don't let, I mean, let them edit, you know, the, the mistakes, but don't let the focus of what you need. And she said, and it will be, and also a book that hopefully you can give and people can just use it. And I'll be different because now they may not have to call in as many solution tree folks. So they may not like it, but this is what you're going to do. And then throughout the process of writing this, I wanted to make sure that people know it, people don't need to know all these problems that go on in urban school. Like I didn't want, and they kept saying, well, you need more research on, Listen, I've been in it. You want to come walk? You want to come? I could FaceTime you right in the neighborhood we were at when it was train tracks or when I lived in North End of Harvard. It was, uh, worked in North End of Harvard. There was housing projects right there. I could have, you don't, people don't need to know this who work in urban schools. We know that there's challenges. What can we do to help them? And this book gives them a tool of, of how they can use that immediately. So like I can go in and, and support them. I'm a resource, but then they would have something to help and support them uh, immediately. Um, so I think that's a big piece. And really to go back to what you talked about, like the adults, are they, uh, Anthony Muhammad is one of my uh, mentors and he's, he's amazing. And he talks about some people only know the system that they went through in middle school because it worked for them. For me, it didn't work. I was, I was a kid that if most of the kids in my neighborhood, it didn't work. But if, if we look at that system, uh, and, and most teachers did this. So why would I want to do this when we didn't do it and it worked for me? Because this is a different age and it's different kids that you're dealing with. So especially in Connecticut, Connecticut's an interesting state. There's a lot of towns that are all white. And then there's towns that are in the middle. And then there's town, uh, towns that are all black. Like it's different. And, and in some towns they're making millions. And then where, where I'm working is not like that. So um, some people come from those towns and then they're like, wow. Why would we have a 30-minute block during the day to give kids time, more time and support? Because they need it. Like, and they need it from y'all, not from an after-school program that may not be able to do it as well as you can because you're the experts in that subject. Right, so, right. All that stuff. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Let's let's talk a little bit before we wrap up. I want to make sure that we talk about learning by doing um, because mainly I'm intrigued. <laughs> I have this this article that you wrote. I have not had the opportunity um, to read, so I'm hoping I can get my hands on it. Um, but learning by doing, I'm super curious about the arts middle way component of that. So share with us a little bit about what you were thinking with this particular um, article that you that you. Um, published in All Things PLC Magazine. So that one, uh, one thing I can tell you, the, the, the Learning by Doing is actually three books that were written by the Dufours, who are uh, the, the creator of the PLC process and people who have changed my life and they were mentors. I never got the opportunity to meet them, but those two, and then it became uh, a guy, Dr. Tom Many and Mike Matos were two other people. Just to let me, I'm going to veer off quickly, tell you the type of guy Mike Matos is. I'm working with a school in Kentucky. Uh, Solution Tree's presenting. They got thousands of people. I see him in the hallway. He's, oh, my God. He hugs me. He's about to go on and do a keynote. He's hanging out talking to me. And he says, hey, I know a guy. If you want to come in. I said, awesome. And he brought me in. And so these people are the, the founders of the PLC process. And it's about doing the work and learning as you go. So, like, I. I didn't use any solution tree 
Uh, I didn't go to any conferences when I put the stuff in. I just read everything I possibly could read. And you're talking hundred, and that's what that book is using the resources and then uh, kind of taking all that information and trying to get better for the best interest of the kids we serve. Like we can't stay the same. We have to learn uh, by doing. And um, that led to the book, The Brilliance in the Building. And I just wrote another All Things article talking about using the adults in your in your school. There's some fantastic teachers all over the country. And sometimes, you know, people like me may come in and try to coach them up. I take a different approach when I go to schools and we try to use the teachers there. If you have someone doing this, have them be the coach. Um, but there's some fantastic teachers all over the country. And that's all I really wanted to use is the brilliant using that type thing. But learning by doing, I'm telling you, they, those books changed my life with the do fours and what they're doing for education all over the world is amazing. All right, but so I want to come back around because I really want to know about the arts middle way. <laughs> so for us, arts middle way is really, in, it, it, there's a lot of characters in our school. Um, it's an art school, but we, when we opened the school, look at this eight years, we were in a factory in the middle of the city. So we were in a factory. We didn't have a gym. We didn't have a library. We had, uh, people who lived above us in the school, like it was nuts. And they didn't have a gate. One guy came down, I'm leaving. He's like, Hey, you know where the laundry room is? Like, no, 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 you're in school, man. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta get out of here. <laughs> so, so the arts middle way is we hired people with two, we, we look at two things. Do you care about kids? And what actions can you tell me that you care about kids? And do you care about the team? So they had to have those two things. And then they kind of had to enjoy the job. Like we, we, the arts middle way is, uh, really enjoying the job, but working together as teams and caring deeply about kids. Um, so th those are kind of, we were able to hire. Uh, but the other thing, when we hired our own people, I made sure we had events out in the city because back then there was a, people were really like, well, you working in, in this city, man, there's some amazing place. Let's go down there and have some jerk chicken or let's, we met at different spots and toured. So they were like, wow, this place is pretty awesome. Oh, the city's amazing. Come on down. So uh, those things, care about kids, care about your teammates, and want to make an impact, especially uh, for the kids who need it. That's awesome. And I would imagine it becomes an awesome place to work, right? That people love to be there. They do. And then, but there's also some, I'm not going to lie. Like we, I was in a school and, and we were making humongous growth and we did some great things. And then someone asked, Hey, do we still have to meet in teams? And we're like, yes, that's kind of, so there's, it gets to that level. And, and even at the school I'm in now, you constantly have to reflect and then, some people you may have to go a different way with them and some people you won't. But for me, it's really just being clear on the process. We're not changing and we're going to try to do all we can what's best for kids. So I love that. And help yeah, kids. Absolutely. That's why we're all here, right? That's why we're supposed to all be here. Yeah. But one last thing too, it also helps staff. Since I've been there in 11 years, we had 34 people move up the ladder from either like a para to an associate, associate to a teacher, a teacher to a coach. And we had 11 do their 092s under me and become principals and move. So we had, a. if you do the process and you are really part of it and the tools that brilliance in the building allow you to kind of, wow, I can go on and be an instructional coach or I can, I think that's also important to me is, is trying to move people forward. I've, I've hired some, we had associate instructors, they come on, I'm like, this person's a, this person's a one-year-and-go person, but let's try to make them as great as they can. Um, so 
that's important also. It is important, and I appreciate that very much. Um, so, Bo, I want to thank you very much for taking time out of your day, um, especially on a snow day, um, to uh, <laughs> to have a chat with us and share your experience and your amazing story. You are clearly incredibly, incredibly passionate um, about the work that you get to do. And I suspect that, you know, at your very heart, you sort of really sort of think about some of it that way, that you, you have this incredible privilege to get to to sort of lead um, and to change the lives of kids in your community. So thank you so much for what you're doing and for sharing um, your work and your book and the effort that you're making um, with all of our listeners. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This has absolutely been amazing. Uh, Learning on Box, I love it. I love it all. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.